I'm Amy, and you're listening to the Creativity Matters Podcast. Today on the Creativity Matters Podcast, thoughts on story and sharing story in a very unexpected and maybe out of context scenario. Here we go. You're listening to the CMP, a Creativity Matters Podcast. Stories of creative journey and a reminder that creativity matters in whatever form it takes for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creativity Matters Podcast. I'm Amy, and this is episode 322, Story. A whole bunch of shows could be called Story. That might just be the lazy, lazy approach to show or episode titling. I often, I often maybe, and maybe always, I often do things backwards, not necessarily intentionally, but sometimes I notice that I do things backwards. Now, sometimes it's really obvious. I am notorious for sewing doll parts or animal parts backwards. Totally in the wrong order, the wrong place, inside out. I have done it many, many, many times in my sewing history. But I do things backwards sometimes in odd ways, and sometimes in ways that I can't shake. Sometimes I do it on purpose. So I do things backwards. That's what I thought when I sat down today, because I was thinking about the sequence of a show. I do things backwards. Maybe we need to step back even though before that, because I, and this is not true for everyone, I see so much of what I do as modular. It's a very specific perspective on things, on time, on the structure of stories, on layout, on design, this block-oriented approach to everything modular. Things made up of separate chunks or boxes, little things you can slide in and out, slide into place. You know, those little flip books where you could There were three or four or more different sections, and you could flip to one section for the middle and one section for the bottom and one for the top, and you would have a person or a thing or an animal or a creature or a robot, and you could mix and match those. That's one way that you can see things as modular. Another way would be for the top, middle, and bottom to be able to be rearranged, and maybe you have CBA instead of ABC. Or maybe you have C-A-B. And that kind of arrangement changes how it works. So you can lay these modular units out in a row, in a series, in a flow, the order and progression, the sequence. As someone who codes, and not so much now, that's probably not how any of you know me, but as someone who codes, modularity and reuse, such clear and concrete things such a clear and concrete approach. It's so logical. I am sure years and years of that really influenced how I think about modularity and what I see, how I pull units out. But before that, I was a student and I was a writer and I was a teacher. And in code, sequencing is often not flexible. You need to do things in a certain order for it to work. The same thing when you teach process, when you teach process writing to students. You teach them how to make or how to write about making a peanut butter sandwich. It's a classic example when you teach process. Certain steps need to happen in certain orders. So not everything can be shifted around. 
But in some kinds of writing and in some kinds of storytelling, there's a little bit of leeway. There's some flexibility. As a writer, back when I was doing academic writing even, I often kept chunks of content on index cards. And I would also often cut papers into sections and rearrange the parts, tape things in place, draw arrows, moving blocks of content around. I would have a big block and maybe make a note that that was A or star and somewhere else there would be insert star here. And I would move all of this around. And yes, I have to say, back when I was in college and then in graduate school, you couldn't do all of this quite as easily or as accessibly via computer. So I am just that old. So I did a lot of this on paper, which really influenced how I think about the fact that you can move things around. And I often find it mind-boggling, the infinite number of ways you can rearrange lines or paragraphs of text and meaning, reposition them and move them around. And it's so easy to do digitally. There's not a single answer or a single approach. So as a writer, sequencing can make a big difference can make a big difference, but it is also so fluid. I can tell you a story by arranging the details in a variety of ways, and each will make a difference in how the story unfolds and how you hear it and what stands out for you or how you understand this narrative. There are infinite ways one can approach narrative structure, and even within a piece that is more formal, sections can still be moved around often within the overarching structure. That's part of the craft part of the art, part of the individual voice and vision to storytelling. And storytelling goes hand in hand with presenting, with doing something like a podcast, with doing a talk. How you craft how that talk will unfold is really part of the art of it. And it may depend on your topic and it may also depend on your understanding of your audience or on what you really want to get across. So all kinds of things come into play. These are not things that can simply be ironed out as it's always going to be A, B, C. Having an A, B, C as this big picture that you can keep in mind as something that loosely will help you structure things, that's not a bad idea. But there's still ways you can move things around that make things yours. There are lots of areas in life in which I think I probably take the same modular approach, looking for blocks and sections, identifiable patterns that I can repeat and reuse, but also shifting sections around, creating story and meaning and space and room and focus by how I shuffle things into place, how I arrange those units. If you go back to the shows on time, you can see that. You can definitely see that I do things by blocks. I think about things in blocks. You heard me say recently, days of the week typically or often have certain foods. It's not only a way of creating ritual and comfort and familiarity, but it's partly how things pan out, how things work for me. The piecing together of bits and the creating of units that then get joined together anew and again and again, that is part of what I love about working with fabric, except Within each of those units, I tend to be completely freeform. I don't like patterns. A general idea of units works for me. 
without the cookie cutter approach. But I love the piecing together of units and then the fact that you can rearrange them endlessly. But when given a pile of units, I wonder sometimes about the structure, the order, the arrangement, and what I do and how I use these things and why I do the things I do, how it all relates to my own personality. I can pull out many examples where I know that I partly do things backwards or in a way that almost discounts what I'm doing. That's not a good thing, but I see it. And I started this discussion because I do things backwards in terms of the structure of this podcast. That was the whole point of this. That's why I started thinking about it. And what I was going to say is I do things backwards and I really need to do this at the beginning. I really need to say these things up front. I had the opportunity to listen to some shows and it really made me think. Again, this is not a new thought. I think about it often when I listen to how other people construct their shows. But it made me think about the things that I don't include and the structure I use and why I don't do something else. I do things backwards because my first words, I like to just dive right in with the story. I like to just dive right in as if we're talking. I do say hello first. And I do give you a number and maybe a title, although I often regret or second guess the title by the end. But I do give you something. But that's it. I don't give you all the fine print until the end of the show. I don't tell you where to find me. I don't tell you how to support me. I don't give you a bunch of URLs. And maybe I should. I know. I know that you may not make it to the end. I totally understand the logic and wisdom of doing it up front. And probably the need then to also do it at the end. You need to say things multiple times for someone to actually hear those things, right? But I can't get past it. I hate to muddy up the opening minutes with something that sounds like so much self-promotion. I want to just start talking. And if I do all that fine print up front, it's a little harder to neatly and naturally segue into the talk. And yeah, really, I could just record a block and I could put that up front and I probably really should. I probably really should. I probably really should. I should put that 411 stuff right here up front before I lose you. But it still just doesn't feel right. I know it would be smarter. I know it would be smart to give you the how to find me details right here. And probably, like I said, again, at the end. Yeah. And I was going to do it today. See, I was going to do it. I was going to gear up and do it and say, hey, here's my deets, my details, my 411. And no, I'm not. Because shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. I'm just going to rearrange it all again to get back to that structure that I like. Because I like to tell you a story. From the beginning, I like to turn it on and have you immediately hear me in the middle of a story, picking up at times with whatever's on my mind right then. And last time, actually two times ago, well, I told you a story both times, but two times ago, I told you a story of an oven and duct tape. And I think I gave some of you a bit of a chuckle. Yeah, I'm a real person. and <laughs> I've got a share of real-world problems, both silly ones and things that require duct tape and big ones that I can't solve. And I'm just trying to draw my way through my life while all of those things happen. So I gave you a story 
of duct tape and an oven and the successful appearance of a plastic soup ladle. And I mentioned that after reveling in my creative problem solving, we got cocky. Mm -hmm. But I didn't tell you what happened and some of you are curious. The oven still doesn't work. That's true. As I record this, we are still in the same spot now as we were then. So some of you wondered what happened. I mentioned that we thought we might just go with the hold the oven shut approach and cook something. And while pizza wasn't practical because it might have taken a long time of holding that oven in place to make several in a series and we would need several, after a long day, nachos sounded like a good and easy and salty solution. Plus, they don't take very long, so it seemed like an okay gamble on the oven. This oven doesn't like to be gambled with. It really doesn't. This oven is out to get me. So I turned the oven on, and I was holding it shut to preheat, but I also needed to get things ready. And right, see, my sequence was off. This was something that needed to be done in sequence, in a sequence that made sense, in a logical sequence. I should have gotten the trays ready first and then dealt with the oven. But I didn't do that, so I was already out of order. So I called for help. I called for help, and one of the kids came in. I need you to hold the oven closed so that I can get the nachos ready to put in, I told him. Because we had all agreed it was worth it to try this, that it sounded good, it was easy, they were hungry. Hold it shut. Hold it shut. Not not bring every ounce of energy you have in your body in your adult-sized body, to do anything more than hold it shut. So he did. All I needed him to do was hold it shut. No brute force needed. It just didn't seem that complicated. Wasn't a task that involved leaning on it or really pushing on it or in any way pushing down. We always thought it was funny, 20 years ago, that the sink came with warnings about not sitting on it. We always thought that was very strange. Well, that definitely came to mind. I was working on the tray of nachos. My back turned to the oven and the teen doing his job holding the oven shut. Two trays, chips all spread out, a lot of chips. I figured we were super hungry. I was super stressed. Cheese on them, a lot of cheese because that's what you need is a lot of cheese. And then this noise This noise, a really loud noise. What was that noise? I don't even know now what it sounded like, like something running into something, a crunch. I don't know. It was a noise that made you know something was not okay. Hearing that noise, I turned around. I fixed it, he said. Hands up. The oven shut. So proud. Sometimes our kids are so proud. But I felt like I had been here before. I fixed it. But will it open? I asked. Sure, he said. I fixed it. And he grabbed the oven bar to pull it open. And no, no, it didn't open. It opened about an inch. That's it. He tried. I tried. No way were we getting anything into the oven. Right. So, what do you do? 
what do you do? You turn the oven off. That's what you do. You turn the oven off. And then you still have to deal with the fact that everybody's hungry. And you also have to deal with the fact that you have two heaping trays of tortilla chips covered in shredded cheese. It's not a good way to separate those back out. I wasn't really into the sifting that back out idea. I wasn't just going to dump them. So we made do. Chips and cheese into bowls and covered with salad and toppings. Nacho salad of a sort, right? It works. And it worked. And now we don't have any problem (laughs) keeping the oven closed. Because the oven won't open. So that's the oven story to date. This week... I gave a presentation on story at work. And you might think, well, that makes sense. And if you saw me post in the online group that there was real irony that I was preparing this, you might have wondered why I said how weird that seemed or how ironic. But it was because you all know me very differently. In the context of my job, it was definitely an unexpected thing. Not because I don't write stories. I do. I work on stories, but I'm a bit on the fringe of things in some ways. So I was asked to talk about story, about the kinds of stories that I work on. And I decided to use a great talk I had watched by Andy Goodman about the value of story for an organization. The value of a core set of stories, actually, not just one. The importance of a core set of stories that all go together to create the sum identity of a company. The value of that core set of stories, the importance of story in our society and to each of us as individuals, in our personal histories, in how we remember and what we learn and how we retain information, the ways in which we draw and build our identity from the stories we tell and the ways in which we tell others who we are by the stories we share. So as I geared up for this, I knew that I really wanted to do this why story matters thing to set the stage for sharing these stories in the future. So to kind of give a meta talk on story. And so over the weekend, it kept running through my head. I kept thinking through my pitch, why I thought this made sense. I kept visualizing without any specifics, me doing a set of slides and a talk to explain some of this. And, you know, what I wanted, what I wanted so badly and partly what kept going through my head this entire weekend, what I wanted to do was a sketch note. I wanted to sketch note the talk that I had watched and present the slides as a sketch note. So I wanted to sketch note it. I wanted that so badly, almost as badly at that point as I want pizza. You can tell I'm a bit fixated, right? So I was still thinking it through. If I ended up doing this kind of talk, could I sketch note it? But I knew there would be a few problems. Number one, it would be so out of character for the meeting itself. I knew it might totally fall flat, might totally not go over in this group. And two, I'm really bad at sketchnoting. I definitely can't still do it in real time, and I didn't need to in this vision that I had. But even when I try and do it taking my time, deliberately, methodically, stopping and starting and replaying and going back to what I need to get what I want, I'm still not confident, not quite finding my footing. I'm still more frustrated than wow, look at what I did. And I have been trying. I have. 
I've realized that what I say to all of you is true. I'm not going to get better if I don't keep trying and keep doing it rather than just wanting it. I've got to actually do it and do it and do it and do it some more and again and again and again. And darn it, I have to learn some basic things even about stick figures that just don't fit with how my brain thinks. I've got to do it and do it and do it and do it and keep doing it and keep messing with layout and how blocks go to pages and how things really work so that it doesn't just look like a mess or so that it looks like the kind of mess that I like, that has the aesthetic I like. That's okay too. But I'm not there. So I didn't think I could do a good job at it. I took pages of sketchnote bits for the recent podcasts, part of the practice that I'm doing. And in both cases, I hoped to do final sketch notes for each show. I'm just not there yet. And it's frustrating, but not really the point of this story. But it does go to the fact that even though I thought it would be awesome to present a sketch note, it would have been awesome to present somebody else's sketch note like Mike Rohde's, somebody who's amazing. I wasn't sure that if I did it, it would really come out, but it was in my head. It was in my head. The entire situation was funny. I was presenting on story. And it is something so very near and dear to me, so much a part of this part of my life, of this podcast, of my history as an academic, as a theorist and a literary critic and a writer and a poet and a playwright, all of these things that have been true for me at times, story. And when I draw I tag things, hashtag story, because it is the story, the story untold but hinted at, the story we might imagine or wonder about that is part of what I love in portraits, part of what I love about what I do and what I draw. Hashtag, what would she say? The drawings are stories untold. Frozen moments, you fill in the dialogue box or thought balloon. You wonder about it. You are invited to wonder about it. You all know me in terms of story, in terms of story from all the way back. If we actually had some giant list of all these shows and what the major parts of each show included, what they were, you would find story again and again and again. You know me in terms of story and in terms of drawing. And if I'd sketchnoted the talk, you would have been like, well, of course she did. Of course she did but no one knows me that way there. I did give a talk on story, and I didn't sketchnote it, but I pulled together some nifty slides. I really did. In this talk and on these slides, I got to talk a bit about the classic three-act structure. Wow, going back to my roots. I got to talk a bit about types of protagonists, types of protagonists that we have that fit stories. And fit what we do and our mission or our goal or our objective or our identity, how we make a difference for certain classes of protagonists. I got to show the ways in which a single story can be used and reused in a full circle of ways throughout an organization. Because things, once written, have a life cycle. They have ways in which they can be incorporated effectively in a variety of places and for different people, and to serve different purposes. You have to have the story. So I made my pitch for story, for the importance of story, for the why of story. I 
did good. And this should spin on out. This episode should spin on out. Wow, story just keeps hitting me over the head these days. And I partly think this can't be a show in its entirety, can it? Telling you that I talked about story and that I thought about sketch notes and that I thought about the disjunct between how people know me in certain contexts. I know that no one really understands there is this big margin for me, this art side, this story side, some basic layout and design. Sure, they know that. And yes, I am a writer. But how those things have a separate life, a life of their own in my off hours, it's a complete unknown. It's a black box. Sometimes I just want to say, hey, you know, this is me or I do this too. And show my Instagram feed or something. It's funny how some of us end up in positions with such a divide. And yes, it's partly my fault because I'm not as forthcoming with details. I'm not the talk about everything else person, I guess. That's what I'm here with you for. Big margin. Big margin. That's an interesting pair of words, right? Because we don't expect margins to be big. A margin is the sliver of space that surrounds something that is core or main. A margin, an edge, something just past the edge, just on the outside. Big margin. Hmm. Margins are often crowded, those slivers. But what is in them? As it grows, margins may shift. And sometimes the margin may be small in appearance, in space, but vast in meaning. But the actual concrete margin can also shift. Those margins, they are so important to me, to my story, to my identity, to how I define myself and what I do, to how I keep my split personality, I guess, in place. The business me day to day, the me supporting my entire life and family, the artist me in the margins, sitting there at night watching TV, drawing a picture, or sitting here on the weekends, pretty much spending most of Saturday and Sunday recording these shows. Saturday and Sunday, of course, being a margin to a week, to a work week. The artist me in the margins. It was ironic in so many ways for me to give a presentation on story. It felt ironic because I know how core that is to everything I believe. And yet it was somehow so out of place. And for me to be giving it in a situation where I knew that Arguing the value of story was something in and of itself novel. There was real irony in that. I sure do wish I could have done a sketch note. I can't shake it. If I was better at it, I keep thinking I would still go ahead and do it and then just put it up and say, hey, here's a sketch note of what I talked about. And I really think that would be perfect, but I'm not sure it would be all that well received either. But I still wish I could do it. I wish I could get to the point where I had the skill to do it, the skill to do it with confidence, to do it well, so that I would have the confidence to then share it. And I actually thought, you know, I could sketchnote that presentation I did for all of you. And I could practice my sketchnoting that way and put that up because it's such a cool thing. And I could probably adapt and modify and take it out of the business situation And turn that same talk into a talk to you about personal story. All these ways that we can reuse the single story. So I can't quite stop thinking about it. I seem obsessed with projects that I think I'm not really good at or not able to do. That's 
something that definitely haunts me. Sketchnoting is not the only thing like that, but it's related to another. Things I desperately want to do. And so, like I said, I've been practicing because I really do think that the only way to get better is to keep doing it. And it may be that the more I practice, the more I realize it's not really me or that maybe I don't enjoy it as much as I want to enjoy it. And we'll see. We'll see. But first, I think there's a whole lot of practicing necessary. So I'll fill you in at some point because I'm feeling a little weird about all this practice with stick figures. Maybe you guys can make me feel better about it. For today, just those few stories and a bit about story because I hope that you too appreciate your stories and that you tell your stories and that you consider your stories and share your stories and show your stories and sketch note your stories and draw your stories and look at the structures of your stories. I did good this week. Did you? Did you do something this week that really went well? Did you try something? Did you put yourself out there or venture outside of your comfort zone? Maybe what happened this week was real world for you, not in the margins. But if you claimed it, embraced it, rocked it, high fives all around. And then somewhere in the margins, if nowhere else, somewhere in the margins, record it. Get down the bones. Telling my story out loud, that's partly how I do this. I am the art. The art is me. Well, that is it for episode 322. And I have to say I'm getting error notices. I've had some trouble. I won't know how bad it is until I listen back. It's telling me it lost chunks, which is very ironic for it to be showing me blocks that it has lost. And there are a bunch of them. We'll do the best we can and hope this holds together. I'm going to say that's it for episode 322. And if you listened this far, thank you. I appreciate you sticking it out so that you can hear the fine print because the fine print includes things like I'm Amy and you can reach me at creativitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. Show notes are available on the creativitymatterspodcast.com website. And the even finer print that probably needs to be up front is that I hope you will join me and follow me. Follow me at Instagram as oamyoamy and as Creativity Matters Podcast. You can also find me in the Creativity Matters group at Facebook, which is a private group. Music I play in the show is courtesy of Nikolai Heidless. Thank you to those of you who support the CMP. Also should be at the beginning because you can find me and those things at patreon.com slash creativity matters. I really appreciate those of you who support the show in any way. And a special thanks to those of you at Patreon. Your support makes a huge difference for this show. Until next time, remember that creativity matters in whatever form it takes for you. And don't forget to breathe. Have a good week, everyone. <laughs>